I have a powerful invitation for you all today. Please take your seats. Isn't that a great, powerful invitation? Thank you all so much for doing that. I love our greeting time. And by the way, you know what's awesome is that um, churches around America are kind of like dispensing with the greeting time. They say it's antiquated and abnormal and it makes people feel uncomfortable. And I go, I know, I go talk to other pastors about this. And they're like, oh yeah, it just wasn't working out. And I'm like, man, greeting time is louder than worship in our church. And worship is not quiet. Um, and so I love, I love that it's a distinctive of our church family. And I love that there's so much encouragement and value of each other in this room that it's not awkward. And consistently, I talk with people of all ages who are just so thankful uh, to greet each other. Uh, by the way, folks online, you can create that same culture online. I know it probably feels like a minute and a half of just waiting, uh, but you guys can chat each other up in the Facebook lobby. Uh, you can text friends who you know are at home. Anyway, so don't, don't miss that chance. Hey, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians 12 today. That's 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, and some of you might remember we had our last sermon on 1 Corinthians um, the week before Thanksgiving, or two weeks before Thanksgiving. Yeah. Because um, Flint spoke the week before Thanksgiving, and then we entered into our Advent series. So you might be a little bit, um, you're like, oh yeah, that's right, we were in 1 Corinthians. You know, kind of that remembering thing. And so we're back in 1 Corinthians. I don't want to do a whole uh, review of everything we've gone through in Corinthians so far, because that's like a year of teaching to review, and that's a, that's a whole Sunday right there. Um, and I always hated the flashback episodes of movies and, and shows as a kid, didn't you? So let's not do that for a sermon. Um, Anyways, I do want to remind us of the last thing that we really talked about, and to, to just to recall the fact that um, we are in the midst of three different chapters on spiritual gifts. Uh, some even count it as four chapters on spiritual gifts uh, in 1 Corinthians, and so uh, we're going to be talking about these for a little bit while, a little while. And the big idea way back in November is that God has gifted you with at least a spiritual gift, or we might say uh, in kind of current verbiage, you have a spiritual gift package, right? Like a compensation package at a job. But you, as a born-again person who believes in Jesus Christ, you have received gifts from the Holy Spirit that he has invested into you for his purposes. And so he wants you off the bench, out of the balcony, on his team, and in the game. So off the bench is believing trusting that you're called to work out of the balcony is getting out of that zone where we're like watching church happen and instead remembering that we are the church and we are a part of making church happen and it also means that we're eliminating that privilege of critique of others in the work that they do and instead are in it with them right because it's easy to critique others it insulates us from the real impact of it though and then we're not just doing it on our own but we're on jesus team he's the one who's in control he's the one who's in charge he's the head coach he's drawing up the plays and the game plan you don't get to call an audible in the middle of it and do it your own way it's his way is the best way always for the church and then he wants you in the game right there's no second stringers in the church god wants all of you included so that's the foundation for spiritual gifts that we have now, the Corinthian church, um, they were the perfect church, and so it's a short letter with no conflict or problems, right? No, they, they were like messed up, right? Like it was a really messy church, and it was like a Jerry Springer show on Sunday morning. You know, it was just really wild. Things were out of control. There wasn't submission to leaders. There was division. There was immorality. I mean, it was, it was a messy church, and so it's a, a letter with a fair amount of 
correction and conflict and a little bit of encouragement. Now, praise the Lord. Uh, God has not called us into a season of correction here at the church, but encouragement. Now, we're always, we're always open to the truth of God's word, right? And it does correct us, but it also exhorts us and encourages us. And our speaker system has a glitch, so it pops at you. If you're, if you're not familiar with that, thank you for your patience. Uh, anyways, before we get into God's word today, uh, let's pray that God's truth would do its work in our hearts. Lord, you have said that your truth is the means of our freedom. Jesus, you, you actually said that, that if we continue in your truth as your disciples, that that truth will set us free. You prayed on our behalf for our unity and you asked your Father Jesus to sanctify us, to make us holy, to set us apart, to transform us in your truth. And that truth is the Word. And so we pray, Father, that the Word would be lifted high today. That Jesus would be lifted high, that the truth of the Bible would be lifted high, that it would be in our hearts and in our minds, and that it would transform. Father, would we be open to you like a spring flower to a pollinating butterfly and would your metamorphic your transforming power be present in our midst pray these things in jesus name amen well we're going to start off the sermon and we're going to talk about turning on your powerpoint tool you turn on your powerpoint just kidding uh, we're going to talk about heavenly bodies how many of you like to look at heavenly bodies and by the way i'm not talking about your spouse i'm talking about things in the sky, right? Like nebula and galaxies and planets. Isn't it cool? It's awesome, right? Uh, just a few weeks ago, my wife, she was looking online and she saw that there was going to be a Martian eclipse. Doesn't that sound cool? Yeah. So uh, Mars was going to be um, eclipsed by the moon. And so uh, my family and I, we loaded up in our adventure wagon, which is also known as a minivan, and um, we headed down hoping to find clear skies in the, uh, the bright metropolis of Ilwaco. Maybe you've heard of that place just a little bit south of here. And unfortunately, we discovered that there were too many clouds, despite the Doppler radar's report, uh, even in Ilwaco, for us to see the Martian eclipse. But we love, we love checking out the night sky. It's one of my favorite things about living rurally is that it's darker here and so there on a clear night you get so many more stars uh, but what amazes me is that god's creation is so powerful and awesome that we don't see half the stars on a regular basis i remember when i was 17 we were backpacking in the mountains of new mexico as boy scouts and we were way up in the hills and we were more than 70 miles from any unnatural source of light, you know, aside from a few Boy Scouts looking for the latrine in the night with their flashlights. And so um, in the night, when everything was dark and we put the campfire out, uh, there were just stars everywhere. And I remember being amazed because it was like God put a nightlight in place. Um, I remember it was like the, the first night we were out and we had a camp guide still. He was orienting us to camping in the mountains and being safe and and good practices in a wilderness area like that. And he said, we're going to put out the fire. And I was like, wait a minute. And he said, and no flashlights. And I said, wait a minute, we all have to go back to our tents in the dark, and we're in the middle of this sort of canopy structure with all these roots and rocks and crags, and it's not flat and level, and you want us to put out the fire and walk back to our tents? I said, I thought it was like safety first here. And he's like, just wait, just wait, Chris, you'll see. And so we put out the fire, and it got fully dark after the coals completely died down. 
And even with the canopy of trees, there was enough light to see every root, every crag, every rock. There were even shadows. Because there are so many stellar bodies out there shining right now on our planet that you can always see. And it just blows me away that our God is so awesome that he creates this beautiful splendor across the heavens for us to behold him and to know him by that. In fact, the psalm says that this power that created the heavens put the heavens in place so that we can see him. His power, his glory, his awesomeness is manifest to us through those heavenly bodies. Isn't that awesome? Have you ever just looked at that? Do you guys like looking at pictures that NASA produces of the galaxies and the stars? I think it's really cool. I was disappointed when I found out that they hire illustrators to color those. I was like, what do you mean they're not that color? And we don't know, because when you look at the sky through telescopes, there's just black and white. There's just contrast, light and dark. And so we just see these things, and then they take uh, those images, and they, they used to do it by hand, now they do it in computers, and they color them so that it looks more vibrant to us. But they're always so impressive, aren't they? I mean, they're just beautiful and awesome. Well, I want to bring your focus to a heavenly body that is much closer. In fact, it's eminently close to you right now. And that heavenly body is Jesus' body, the church. Did you know that if you're a believer in Christ, you are a part of a heavenly body, the body of Christ at work on this earth? And that just like those heavenly bodies, this heavenly body is made to glorify God and display God's goodness and love and wonder in just as a powerful way as those heavenly bodies. Did you know that? This is why Paul tells the Philippian church, he says, do all things without grumbling and complaining so that in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation, you might do what? Shine like the stars in the heavens. Because just like those heavenly bodies, you are an eternal shining beacon of God's awesome power and wonder. And the reason you are that way is because you have been reborn in Christ, an eternal and beautiful creation. And you have been glorified with the Holy Spirit entering your life. Isn't that awesome? I mean, do you wake up in the morning and realize that in God's economy, you are more important than the sun? Isn't that radical? I mean, everybody on earth would die without the sun, right? And yet God sees you and says, you are more important than that thing which seems to give life to billions of people and billions and billions of organisms. Jesus didn't die for the sun. He did die for you. His resurrection didn't transform the sun. It did transform you, and it united you with Christ, and therefore you are a part of Christ's body. I want to talk to you a little bit about the power and the opportunity of that, and I need you to understand that we are the body of Christ. It's not just that we're a church. In fact, church is kind of a, a weird name. It's not, it's not really a biblical name. In the Bible, we're called the Ecclesia, which means the called out ones, God's holy ones. We're called the bride of Christ. We are called sons and daughters of God most high, and we are called the body of Christ, but we are never called the church. That's a, that's a rough translation that comes from German, not from biblical terms. I don't want to erase it. You know, it's, it's just what we're known as. But the reality is that the church 
is ultimately best understood as being the body of Christ. So that's what we're going to talk about today uh, in the passage. And uh, if you want to turn with me in your Bible, I guess you'll turn with yourself in your Bible, uh, to 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to read uh, chapter 12, verses 12 through 31, and unpack that a little bit today. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that, pardon me, I, I lost myself here, guys. I need to flip back one page. There we go. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is, not for, is it not for that reason any less a part of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if, we're, and if they all were the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that were considered less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our respectable parts are treated with greater respect. Our unrespectable parts, pardon me, are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in other tongues? Do all interpret? Well, what do you think? No. Yeah, the answer to all those questions is no. But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. Wow. So, like I said earlier, we are the body of Christ. Now, I thought about saying you are the body of Christ here, because the reality is, is that the body of Christ is comprised or built of many individual parts. But we are also this body together. So it's this conglomeration of unique individuals that creates the body of Christ. Just like your physical body. Are you a liver? Are you a gallbladder? Are you an inflamed kidney? I hope not. <laughs> no, you're much more than that, right? You're every organ together working in unity in perfect harmony, hopefully, so that your body works right. 
And in the same way, we are all to be unified in Christ, even though we're all individuals. And we are all the body of Christ in the Holy Spirit. It's important for us to understand this. It's not our work that makes us the body of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit's work. I've talked to believers, and they're like, I believe in Jesus, but I'm just not part of the church. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I hate to break it to you, but you're automatically part of the church. You might not attend one, but it doesn't mean you're not it. If you're not it, then you are not a Christian. What I, I don't mean that they're not saved by that, by the way. I just mean that they're confused, right? Uh, it, it's like saying you're a human being without a body, right? There are many Christians that are sort of like Christian ghosts. You know, they're disembodied Christians. They're not a part of God's actual body on the earth. They're just sort of wandering, haunting the planet. Jesus. But they're all alone in that, right? They're not connected to the body of Christ. And it's vital, biblically, that every Christian be connected to a local body of Christ. Their place in that body matters. And it's been created by the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to know that God's word says that. So in verse 13, it says, For all were baptized by one Spirit into the body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Now you'll note it says that we are all baptized into one body, but it says it specifically by the Holy Spirit. It's not a matter of have you been baptized, water baptism, by immersion to make you part of the church. If you are born again, if you put your faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God is in you. He's entered your life that is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It happens right when you get saved. The exception of a few people in Acts who didn't quite understand that. They didn't get Jesus yet. And so you see the gospel come to them fully. And then they receive the Holy Spirit. But right now, in the life of the church, in this millennia, that's not the way that it is. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are born again and you receive the Holy Spirit. That's called baptism. It's, it's an immersing act you're drenched in the holy spirit physically you might not have gotten all wet you know maybe you weren't saved in february in the rain on the boardwalk but you are drenched in the holy spirit and you're a part of the church automatically so the spirit is the agent he's the one doing the putting you into the body he's the divine surgeon that says you are now a part of the body of christ and he's also calling you to be a part of the local body of christ He's gifted you with gifts to make a difference in that body for his glory. But it's not just about the work that you're called to do. Because the first thing that you're immersed for, the first thing you're reborn for, is relationship with God. And I think it's important that we understand this. That it's not work first to get relationship. It's relationship with God first that produces fruit in your life. That looks like a transformed character that look like looks like transformed passions and loves that looks like transformed working in your life so that you start to look like jesus through the power of the holy spirit so you're baptized in the holy spirit so that you would have a close relationship with god he is right there in your life he's not going anywhere he's covering you He's filling you. He's surrounding you. 
He's the way that you have fellowship with the Father and the Son right now. And he will always be a part of your life. Isn't that awesome? In Psalm 139, David says, Where can I go to flee from your spirit? If I go to the highest peak, you are there. If I fall to the depths of the deepest personal Hades that exists, you are there. Even the darkness cannot hide me from you. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that comforting? That you are knit in the body by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life for the purpose of knowing God and bearing much fruit in that relationship? It's not by your power that you're part of the body. It's by God's power. Now, it's important that you know that, but it's also important that the rest of us understand that. That as we encounter other believers in our local churches, people in other churches aside from your own, and even disembodied Christians who are wandering around like ghosts needing a body to abide in, that we value that about them, that we value that about the Holy Spirit, that we recognize that it's not our opinion that matters regarding them, but instead it's God's opinion about who they are. And we just sing a beautiful song, a song of freedom. It says, I'm chosen, not forsaken, I am who you say I am, right? But I need to not just reflect that into me. I need to reflect that into the other believers around me as well. I need to remember that they are chosen and not forsaken. Therefore, I will not forsake them either. Therefore, I will love them as well because the Father has chosen to love them. Therefore, the love of Christ needs to abide in me for them just like it does in Jesus. We'll unpack that more a little bit later but we are the body of Christ in the Holy Spirit. He's the agent that works. He's the one that walks with. He's the one that is producing within you the things that you need to know, need to do, and need to be. Next, the Lord tells us that we have diversity in Christ. And praise the Lord for that. Isn't that awesome? Do you know that diversity brings life? If you did not have diversity in your own body, you would die how many of you have noticed that your diet has needed to change as your body has aged did you know that that's a direct result of less diversity in the microbiome in your gut seriously when you were younger you had more different types of bacteria through your digestive tract if you're like an anti-germ person i'm sorry you're dependent on some germs there's good germs and there's bad germs right and so you had more when you were younger and so you could eat way more stuff but now that you're older you can't eat it. You, have, you don't have as much life in your gut. You can't pop those jalapeno poppers all day on Saturday, as it turns out, and neither can I, apparently, I found out last night. So uh, <laughs> you, you just learn that there's just not as much power and life in you. The more diverse the body is, the more strength there is in the body. God has ordained and created diversity within the church on purpose. You know, sadly, though, 11 a.m. on Sunday, according to Martin Luther King Jr. and many others, is the least diverse hour in all of America. We tend to segregate based on our spiritual preferences. And that's kind of lousy because diversity is a gift. We're going to talk about what it takes to have vibrancy and diversity in the church. We can see right here in the text 
There are many members, but one body. God has given various gifts to this body, and he's called people from various backgrounds. Paul says in verse 13, you were baptized into one body by the Spirit, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all were given one Spirit to drink. There's diversity in the family of God. Even though we're relatively homogeneous, right, in our church family, kind of because of where we live, there's diversity in our church family. There's diversity of careers and working backgrounds. There's diversity of perspectives and worldviews. There's diversity of political opinions. Good golly, there's diversity of political opinions amongst us. You know what? That's all good. That's awesome. God uses those different backgrounds and those different stories. He uses you to reach people in this world with his love for his glory. You might feel bad because you were saved out of a family that was an absolute wreck. You might be in recovery over that, but I promise you, God is going to use the diversity of your story for powerful things in your life and in the lives of people around you. You might have gone through a season, or maybe you're going through a season of difficulty, and you feel separated from other people in the church because of that. You walk in on Sunday, and there's a smile on your face, but there's sorrow in your heart. You put the church face on. I know what that's like. You know what? You feel separated, but God's using that diversity for his glory. By the way, don't be afraid to let the church face down, at least with me, because we love you, and I love you, and we care about who you really are just so you know. I know there's social pressure, but don't feel pressured on my behalf to be different than you are with me. God uses diversity for many good things in the life of the church. The problem is is that we as humans, because of our sin nature, we struggle with diversity. We struggle with people who are not like us. And think about it this way. When you encounter another believer and they do something that bothers you, you really get upset about their sin and you're like that bear inside you're like roar over their sin just step back a minute and go is their sin different than my sin or the same as my sin because usually we have a lot of compassion for people who sin like us and we lack compassion for people whose sin is diverse from our own it makes us really uncomfortable when people sin different than us it makes us really uncomfortable when people sin the same as us and so we get quiet But when their sin is different than ours, we get loud. Because that's not right. That's not what we're supposed to do, by the way, right? That's not good. That's not healthy. That's condemnation for sin. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But diversity can lead to some problems. The Lord calls this out in the text. Diversity can lead to derogatory views, distrust, and even dispensing with people. I'm done with you. You don't need to be part of my life anymore. You might sit on the other side of the church, but you have no place in my life. It's a sad state that the church gets in when diversity causes friction instead of God's power to be evident in our midst. Look at this. It says uh, in verse 21, or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Dispensing. Man, bummer. It's diversity that leads to derogatory views. It's not just derogatory views of others. It can be a derogatory view of yourself. It says, the foot doesn't look at the hand and say, I'm worthless because I'm not a hand. Instead, I'm a foot. The eye doesn't look at the ear and say, man, I just don't hear anything. That ear is talking about how beautiful the music is. I just don't get it. 
maybe I'm not really supposed to be a part of this church family. No, it doesn't work that way at all. We don't get to look down on other people because they don't have our gifts or maybe even the same strength and application of our gifts. And we shouldn't look down on ourselves because we don't have the same gifts that other people have. I praise the Lord that I'm not the only teacher in this church. I love listening to other people with the gift of teaching. It encourages me to hear you when you have the gift of teaching, applying that, bringing that out by sharing truth from God's word with others. It encourages me, and so thank you for doing that. I'm thankful for every person in this church who has the gift of helps, whether they're wanting to work on the grounds outside or make sure the inside looks right or showing up at other people's homes to care for them. And I love that you have that gift. And I love that the example that you set for the rest of us in your Christ-like service and humility. I love encountering people who have the gift of faith. And they look at other people who are struggling with stuff in their lives and they say, man, don't worry because God's got you right where he needs you. And this hardship that you're in right now isn't going to last forever because he has better plans for you than this pain. A friend sent me a text from another pastor. He said, pastors, you have to recognize that sometimes the horse manure goes up to the top of your boots and you're worried. But you've got to remember that God grows good things in the worst manure, right? That gift of faith matters. And when you use that on our behalf, we're strengthened for it. And I commend you, and I'm encouraged by your gifts. Don't let yourself get caught up in the comparison trap of thinking that you're not worthwhile because your gift, your ministry, does not seem as powerful, as public, as prolific as somebody else's because you don't see your gift with eternal eyes. You don't know how God is using your gift. He chose you, and he chose to gift you in the way that you are gifted. And what matters is that you are faithfully exercising your gift as he calls you to exercise it. Do not compare yourself to somebody else. We all can suffer from this. I know lots of pastors who say, yeah, my congregation said that was a good sermon, but I tell you what, I heard Billy Graham give a message about that and it was so much better and people were weeping and my church just throws away their bulletin and drives away. You know, it happens. They get discouraged by, by looking at other people and if it happens to us, it, it could probably happen to you pretty easily too, right? I don't matter because I'm not on the stage. Oh, brother, oh sister, you matter so much. Your gift matters so much. The work that you do matters maybe even more than the work that I do. Because you're Jesus in the flesh to somebody that I can't reach. And your gift shines with eternal brilliance. And so we need to let go of these derogatory views. Sometimes when people don't seem like we do, we tend to distrust them. Then those church ears, they just don't think the way that I do. I see it differently. That's wonderful that you see it differently. It's wonderful that they see it differently. And you know where goodness is found is in listening to and honoring each other. That's what the word says right here. Check out verses 22 through 24a. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. Did you catch that? Indispensable. Incredibly valuable. We have to have you. Don't go anywhere. Hold tight. And those parts that we consider less honorable 
we clothe these with greater honor. And our, respectable, our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Wow. You're feeling weak. You're feeling incapable. You're feeling unable. You're feeling less than another person in the body. God says that you're indispensable. You're looking down on somebody else because they don't have the social skills. They show up and they're not prepared. Their gift isn't polished up. They haven't been trained. And you're like, man, I wish you just let somebody else do your job because I'm tired of coffee grounds in my coffee on Sunday mornings. Man, that is not the word of Christ for us or over us. He says, that person's indispensable. That gift is a priority for me. I put them there on purpose. And so you know what he says? The ones that we consider less honorable, we honor. Do you catch that? See, I, I, I know a lot of people who jump over that chunk of the verse right there. They call those people less honorable, but they don't recognize that it's their own judgment. The ones that we judge, we consider less honorable. We give more honor because our honor is insufficient. Did Jesus die for them? Does his blood cover all their sins? Are they a born-again, gifted, Holy Spirit-empowered believer in Jesus? And we have, in our hearts, looked down on them? Wow. Look out. You're in a dangerous position because you are opposing Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus tells Saul before he becomes Paul, right? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting these dispensable people? No. Why are you persecuting me? See, Jesus identifies with them, and he says they are me. And when you judge them, you're judging me and my work and my calling and my power in their lives. That doesn't sound like a position that I want to be in. I wouldn't recommend that you take that position either. You'll get uncomfortable pretty fast, hopefully. I know I have. And so we are perfecting diversity when our love for others leads to honor and respect for them. Our unrespectable parts, we show even greater respect to. You know, sometimes with my kids, when we're in public, I get a little embarrassed. Has anybody ever been that way? Not with my kids. Please don't raise your hand about my kids. Raise your hand for your own kids. <laughs> because I want our family to embody love and honor and respect. And, and then one of them will reach over and steal one tater tot, of which there's an infinite supply in the universe, thanks to the great state of Idaho, right? And, and then the other one will glare at them with the murder-death glare that only a brother can have for another brother and say something like, you butt-jerk, which, by the way, is hilarious, and I'm so glad they don't really know how to insult each other yet, right? And, and so, like, inside, though, I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed because that, that's not loving, that's not honoring each other and the diversity that they have it's it's not looking at each other with the type of respect that, that brings about the perfect blessing of diversity and sometimes i wonder i just wonder if maybe our behavior isn't a little bit embarrassing to the other christians around us because we have our perfect christians who we prefer i mean they're perfect in our eyes and then we have those other christians you know who god needs to work on still and it just makes me wonder if it isn't a little bit embarrassing to the family of God. And I, I don't mean that to shame you if the Holy Spirit's convicting you right now, but maybe just to measure up against the perfect love of Jesus 
and remind you that just because they're not your favorite person doesn't mean that they're not Jesus's. And the Holy Spirit has poured his perfect love into your heart so that your love can grow by the power of Jesus and you can love them as well. Because the diversity of the church is made powerful, perfect, and effective when love leads to honor and respect. And then it moves on from there because this perfect and effective diversity leads to divine interdependency. That's like a $64 theological, $64 theological term, right? Divine interdependency. Think about how your body works together. Do your lungs exist for your lungs' sake? Does your heart exist for the heart's sake? How about your hands? Do they just do things that only the hands want? How about your eyes? Do they only get to look at what you count as good? No. Everything works together. It's knit together in perfect divine wisdom so that your body thrives. The same thing is true in the body of Christ when our perfect diversity is working effectively. Check out verse 18 and 24a and 26. I'll read them out loud. But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wants, just as he desires. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Why is supposed to be 24b? My bad. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable. It's God that's put the body together. It's God that desires greater honor for those that we would call less honorable. Verse 26. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Isn't that awesome? I've, I've wondered, I'm not a hunter, some of you are hunters, but I've watched a lot of National Geographic. That's right. So it makes me practically an expert, I'm sure, that what I'm going to say is true right now. I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek with a little bit of humility. But I, I've just been amazed. I'm, I'm watching National, National Geographic, and, you know, the, the lionesses come in, and they're hunting, like, the zebras or the gazelles, and there's just all this activity. They're all running all over, and then finally the lionesses get their zebra, and you know what the rest of the zebras do? Eat more grass. That's what they do. Like, like Verna's over here, and her entrails are becoming X-trails, and everybody else is like, thank God that wasn't me. <laughs> Look, there's some grass. That's not how it is in the church, though, right? And I love this about the church. When one person in the family of God suffers, everyone else's hearts are broken with the compassion of Christ. You know what we do? We pray for them. We lift them up to our Heavenly Father. We encourage them. We let other people to know to be praying for them. Some of you show up with like food. Some of you show up and clean bathrooms. Some of you bring tissues and an open ear and a soft shoulder, right? And what happens then? There's healing. There's care. The love of Christ is expressed. Something bad happens to someone. A tree falls on someone's house. Their car gets broken down. You know what I find out? Well, so-and-so showed up and they brought me to where I needed to be this week. Oh, they helped me figure out what was wrong with my car. I, I've seen you people exchange money more quickly than you exchange a greeting on Sunday morning with someone who's in need. That's the perfect diversity of the love of Christ working out. It's incredible to watch. You know what it does? It puts the love of God on display in the world. That's for later. But that's what's happening at that point in time. And there's deep healing that happens there. 
There's a reason there's diversity of experiences. There's a reason there's diversity of gifts. It's because in the midst of that, God's love is shown in the way that we divinely are interdependent, just like when our bodies work together in interdependency. I mean, isn't it amazing that your body works the way that it does? I mean, you breathe in air and your body turns it into energy. Your brain has energy and it tells the rest of your body what to do. I mean, you metabolize broccoli for goodness sake. That's an incredible thing. And at the same time, you can eat ice cream. And it does the same thing for you. And you taste it in different areas of your mouth. And it causes your brain delight. Your tongue delights your brain with what it tastes. It says that in the text too. When one experiences honor from God, when one is encouraged, you know what everybody else experiences? encouragement and honor as well isn't it awesome isn't it cool that i can invite matt to come and pray for his daughter and the way they loved each other encourage the rest of us did you guys get the holy spirit goosebumps in that moment you're just like praise the lord for this moment that's what diversity does when diversity is working well don't you want that in our church family absolutely therefore we need to abide in that place of honoring each other this is why Jesus calls us to the, in the book of Colossians, he says, forgive as you have been forgiven. Because if we're bearing a grudge, if we're building up bitterness, you know what we're not going to have? Honor and respect in our church family. You know what's going to kill? Effective diversity. Instead, it's going to bring conflict and difficulty and pain. And so we have unity in Christ. Many parts one body isn't it awesome it's like jesus is walking around the earth because we're here that's super humbling because sometimes i stumble you might too and i'm certainly not jesus but somehow he uses us to be like him on this earth and we have this unity in christ by the power of the spirit i know we've talked about this a little bit and i, I just want to remind you that that unity comes through the power of the spirit so maybe today you're experiencing some disunity. You're experiencing separation from another believer because you're angry with them. It's something you can't let go of. You think that they've made a mistake. They haven't used their gift right. They've stepped on your toes in some way. They've created an offense. And the Holy Spirit wants to work in your heart today to rebuild that unity so that his diversity can have its perfect effect in this church family. I just encourage you to listen to the spirit it's an eternal fracture when the body of christ is not unified i've seen it before and i've also seen the power of the healing of those relationships when there's confession when there's forgiveness when there's restoration you know what that evidence is grace love and mercy and it is awesome and it is powerful but it can also be difficult at least on the way in. If you've been going swimming with friends on a hot day and you see everybody else get in the water and you're pretty sure that water is a few, two ice cubes short of a warm bath. Yeah. It, it can be challenging to work up the guts to jump in. But it's so worthwhile when you just let go and when you just get in for the move of the Holy Spirit again. Forgive. Confess. Offer restoration. Be restored. It's so worthwhile. Because when we have unity, there is blessing. 
when we have unity as a church family, there is blessing. Think about it in this way. What does gangrene do to a limb? It's gross. It's like death in your living body. What do you need to do if you have a gangrenous limb? Cut it off, get the leeches out, cut the infection out, pump it. You need healing, right? Well, when the body gets disconnected from itself, when the blessing of Jesus doesn't flow in the body of Christ, you know what it's like? It's like gangrene in our midst. The goodness stops flowing there. It's not because God desires it. It's not that God's turned off the faucets of goodness on his church. It's just that we're saying, you know what, Jesus? Thanks for the salvation, but we're going to church our way. We're going to be the body our own way. And it doesn't work out very well. In Psalm 133, I just, just want to read this psalm to you. It's just, it kind of struck me as odd the first time I read it. I was like, that's a psalm in the Bible. Okay, it's a little bit, a little bit weird. But I'll explain it in a minute. How good and pleasant it is when the brothers live together in harmony, in unity. It is like fine oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard onto his robes. Okay, this sounds like a biker rally all of a sudden, right? Like, it's a little bit weird. We'll get there. It is like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has appointed the blessing. Okay? So it seems weird to us because we don't pour oil on each other's beards unless if we're in some sort of a weird man soap commercial, right? But in the festivals and the celebrations of Israel, there was anointing oil, and it was a sign of God's provision and blessing and presence. And in a dry culture, that anointing oil was comforting and empowering and enlivening. And so they would take the priests who were representing God to the people and the people to God, right? They were reconcilers between these two parties. And they would pour anointing oil on their heads. And they wouldn't just do a little bit. Moms, when you see your kids pour syrup on pancakes, when do you want them to stop? way before they do right and so here's moses and aaron and they are like kids on pancake day with the maple syrup and all of the moms and the wives are watching they've ironed those clothes they've made them clean and moses is dumping the oil and it's falling on aaron's head and they're laughing and they're laughing and they're praising and the oil keeps pouring down so that it saturates all of Aaron's hair and it goes down into his beard and it's dripping mess everywhere. And it's like the love of God is being poured out on all of Israel in this moment. And soon everyone is laughing and soon everyone is praising because they realize that the God that they worship, the God who is over them and calling them and protecting them is not a God of fear, is not a God of lack, but is a God of love and abundance and goodness, and they never have to worry that the oil is going to run out, that the favor is going to end. Isn't that awesome? And so how blessed is it when the brothers dwell together in unity because it's like the blessing of God is being poured out on the people, and it's a demonstration that God's goodness is never going to run out never going to go anywhere else, that God is always going to reside in our midst. And then he makes it a weather report and a farming report. It's like the dew falling on the mountain. Where does California's water come from? The mountains. 
It all comes from the mountains. When the snow doesn't fall, when the rain doesn't come, when the dew doesn't fall, what happens to the rest of California? Drought. Death. Aqueducts. Very bad water in L.A., right? Yeah. Same thing in Israel, just not modern times. Those hills needed to fill with dew, with rain, with snow for the spring crops. And that's what unity does in the church. It builds up blessing. It builds up goodness. Peter repeats a proverb. He says, love covers a multitude of sins. Your commitment to unity is like those mountain snows. It's storing up the ability to go through hard times together. And sadly, churches go through hard times. Sadly, people experience church hurt. But the more we're unified with each other, the more we stand firm, the more we honor one another and respect each other, the more we forgive one another, the stronger the church is and the greater the blessing the church experiences. Every time, all the time. And that is God's will for you and me in this church. That there would be that much love evident within our midst. That we can hang tough with each other through the hardest trials and tribulations. And unity is found in oneness of purpose. We need to be united on God's purposes for our church family. Churches fall apart when people start fighting over the purpose of the church. Well, I really think that we ought to have culture nights because we're losing the culture war. And if we don't give people a Christian worldview, everything's going to fall apart. I don't know if you've noticed, Ethel, but we're going to hell in a handbasket and I'm here to stop that. Okay then. Well, I'm here for Jesus. And he's really good at dealing with hell in a handbasket. He walked it all the way up Calvary. He could do it again. I'm going to stick with him. You're invited, right? We need to stay with Jesus. It's not about our thing. It's about his thing. We find unity when we're united around Jesus, around his purpose. We don't find unity in persons. We find unity when we gather around Jesus together. It's what binds us together. It's the reason we want to stay united with him. Look at the Trinity. They're not all the same person, but they're united in one purpose, right? And so they have perfect unity, unbroken, unyielding unity from which all life proceeds all the time. Isn't that awesome? It's the kind of unity that I want to know with you. And so this biblical unity is found when we have oneness with purpose that is consistent with the will of God and the work of God and reflects the word of God. I want to unpack this really quickly because it's important that we understand how to get to this biblical unity. So we have this purpose, right? Purpose statement for the church. Make disciples. Love God. Love other people. Boom. Jesus established this. Let's get united around that. But let's do it in a way that's consistent with the will of God, his desires and his ways. Let's make sure we don't go off on some holy crusade where we need to kill and crucify people to convert them to Christ. No, no, no. 
I crucify myself. You crucify yourself. We should not crucify each other. Amen? And so we do things in Jesus' ways, according to his will and with the work of God working it out. It's not our will, just like we didn't get put in the body by our efforts, but by the Holy Spirit's efforts. We do the work of Jesus with his strength, his work, not our own. And if we do it on our own, you know what we get? Tired, dejected, burned out, frustrated, absent. That's how it goes every time. Now, if you are those things, it might not just be that you're doing it in your own strength. Other things can impact us too. But if you are doing it in your own strength, you're going to run out of strength. And then it reflects the word of God. You know, it's not just that we are a Christian church because we like Jesus' name. We're a Christian church because we're aligned with Jesus. And we are doing things according to his truth. The word of God is truth. When Jesus prayed for our unity, he prayed that we would be sanctified in the truth. And then he added, I don't think for God's benefit. God's, God knew. The Father knew what was true, right? Like the Father wasn't like, thank goodness you clarified Jesus. God, I was just concerned. Where was your prayer going here, son? I mean, you were just getting out of line. No, he's not a worried mom from Sheboygan, right? He's God the Father. And so Jesus says, sanctify them in your truth. And for our benefit, he says, your word is truth, Father. God's word in our lives helps produce this unity. And so we need to be committed to God's will, God's purposes, God's ways, God's strength, and God's word in our midst. By the way, this church is committed to those things. I don't know if you've noticed that. They're kind of foundational to who we are and what we do. And it's part of the reason why I'm so excited to be a part of this church. And, and I'm glad that there are other churches like this. You know what happens when we do this, when we pursue this unity? We become a special sort of heavenly body. We become evidence and we become an expression of Jesus to each other and to the world around us. Isn't that awesome? That's really cool. Some people argue that the church doesn't prove that God is real. They say the church is full of hypocrites. You know what I say? Amen. Absolutely right. Every single one of us. Because we see what's broken in us and we see what's good in Jesus and we're reaching for that and we're not perfect. And so we're trying to become something that we're not by the power of God. But don't for an, a second think that I'm a fake. <laughs> Please. <laughs> because I'm genuinely a rotten mess. And I'm genuinely a holy project all at the same time. And I hope that you are too by the grace of God. And so we're all together evidence of God's goodness. Because what amazes me is that you all can love each other. You all can see through your differences and your diversity and you can be committed to each other. Some of you have made terrible statements to friends in this room and they've forgiven you. Some of you have gossiped terribly about other people in this room and we've forgiven you. Some of you have flaked out and failed to show up and somebody's had to stand in your gap. And then you get to the job and everybody says, we're so glad you're here because of unity because of love. Isn't that awesome? You know why that happens? The power of God and the will of God in our midst and us agreeing towards that. We are evidence of God's divine work on this earth. And it is an awesome thing. 
And that's aside from the gifts working themselves out in our midst and in the world around us, by the way. We didn't even touch that this week. But not only are we evidence, but we're an expression. And it does not amaze you that God says, you are my body. He doesn't say you're my corporation. He doesn't say that you're my nation, which you are. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. But he says, you're my body. You are me on this earth. Wow. That's really incredible. He says, you are representing me with your gifts, with your unity, with your love. And as you do that, you express God individually and together. And the first people that benefit from this are right here because we should get the most of that expression. But then you know who else benefits it? The people around us in the world. Because we don't just dispense honor and mercy and grace to each other, I hope. I hope we dispense it to everybody that we encounter. Because you're the voice of Christ. You're the eyes of Christ. You're the hands of Christ. You're the feet of Christ. You're the inflamed kidney of Christ. And you have work to do for his glory and his good. And as you listen to him, as you submit to the Holy Spirit, as you partner with him in his purposes and his power, you show off the love of God to the world in the same way as those stars in the heavens do. Because they're not the only heavenly bodies that exist. Each and every church that is submitted to the Spirit, walking with Jesus, just as much shines the glory of Christ into the world. That's a powerful opportunity that you and I have. Now I'm guessing that if you're like me, you're a little bit excited about this possibility, but you're also recognizing I'm falling short here. I, I don't know that type of unity all the time. I, I don't walk in that forgiveness all the time. I don't obey when Jesus calls me to serve all the time. And so I'm going to pray. And I, I would just encourage you to talk to God about that. The difference between what you read his purpose and his unity is about for the church and where you live in your day-to-day -day life as a follower of Jesus. And let's ask God to close that gap here in our midst. Okay? Father, I thank you for the words of 1 Corinthians 12. And you, you inspired Paul to write them almost 2,000 years ago now. And yet when we read them, we see how powerful they are because you are in them. Lord, when we think about the unity and the love that you've called us to, we see ways that our commitment has fallen short. We don't honor and respect in the way that you do. We don't serve instantly with humility and gladness in the way that Jesus did. We don't always submit to the Holy Spirit in our thinking, in our being, and in our doing. And we thank you, Father, that there's grace for us, that you didn't call us because we are perfect, but you called us because you loved us. And so we pray, God, that you would forgive. But Father, we don't just want forgiveness. We're grateful for that. We want transformation. We want you to change our hearts. And so we yield ourselves to you right now. We yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We ask that you would begin crafting in a new and powerful way the type of love and unity that you want in this church, starting with us, that you would help us to guard this unity because the enemy wants to destroy it. And so we pray that you would help us to stand firm in that unity. Father, help us to use our gifts to love others and glorify you. 
Help us to see you as the center of everything in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.